0: Hi, guys. Doing it's family. It's your host Mark Rocky. I'm excited to bring you yet another episode of the podcast. This week, I had the privilege of sitting down with Mutier Muller, who's a co-founder and COO at Solitech Limited, field sales automation software uh, startup. I love this company uh, because they exemplify organic, self-directed growth. As a team of four co-founders, they have managed to transcend notorious co-founder of conflict issues that often are a stumbling block for startups navigating their way from novice entrepreneurs learning along the way and working as a team of uh, complementary equals each with his own defined role at, at the organization they are now in six countries across the continent with exciting ambitions for growth as well as new products in the pipeline all without raising outside capital Muti and team are an example of how it is possible to bootstrap a tech business in Africa. It's not always just about capital. Entrepreneurship is about resourcefulness, ingenuity, but most importantly, who you work with. Enjoy the podcast. I'm excited to, to host you on the podcast. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Tell us what you guys do, at Sol- who you are, and what you do at Solitech.
1: Thank you, Mark. Um, I'm really excited to be on, uh, on the Maji podcast. I've been really looking forward to being here since uh, I think around June, but for, finally we're here. So my name is yeah. Mutia Mule. Yeah. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Solutech Limited, uh, which is the leading field sales automation company in Kenya. So what we do is uh, we're driving revenue for manufacturers, distributors, wholesalers, and retailers uh, towards creating long-term uh, sustainability their businesses, OHQ um, is in Nairobi, Kenya, but we have operations mm-hmm. in other six countries in Africa, which is Tanzania, Uganda, DRC uh, Congo, uh, Rwanda, Zambia, and soon we'll be launching in uh, Malawi.
0: That's, that's fantastic. That's awesome. Um, so it's, it's always interesting to figure out how people got into what they do. What's your story? Uh, where did Solutec come from? Where did the idea come from?
1: Um, good question. So I'll take you back to 09 to 2013. So that's the time that I went to the University of Nairobi to study a degree in computer science. And that's where, fortunately, I met two of my uh, co-founders, who is uh, Mm -hmm. Alexander Ubiampo and uh, Raib Bayusu. We are classmates from the University of Nairobi, class of 2013, computer science. After graduation, I managed to go to another company we worked as a junior software engineer then mm-hmm. right joined another company as well where he was a mobile software engineer and alex joined another company but by january 2014 somehow we found ourselves in the same company where we were working mm-hmm. as software engineers but on uh, different uh, roles um but I was as so, so to,
0: was that how did that happen was that just purely coincidence or did you guys pull each other into the company
1: um alex did pull us into the company because uh it was a developing company and uh mm-hmm. whenever there was a new role he would recommend us to come uh, join so first he pulled right then later on he pulled me on january 2014 that's how we found ourselves mm-hmm. yes that makes
0: sense makes sense
1: uh-huh. yeah so um, after some months that company started to struggle financially uh so around july of 2014 we started uh, thinking about what can we do next Uh, Mm -hmm. because, I mean, life has to continue. (laughs) It doesn't mean that if one door is closed, you have to, like, pause your life. You have to move on. So, fortunately, there was a a guy next door to that company who was really interested in starting an IT company. So, what we did is we came up together and uh, we started giving discussions and uh, thinking together, uh, how can we start uh, uh, a tech company? And uh, 2014 is the time that uh, really was strong, high up was strong. Uh, so it was really the perfect time to be starting a tech company in Kenya. So after mm-hmm. some preparations on September, we agreed to to, to start and uh, we became co founders, uh, equal share to the company 25%. And uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's how Tech began.
0: So so okay, fine. So you've decided, okay, let's start a company. <laughs> you go register the thing, you allocate ownership across four people. And then what do you do? <laughs> what do you do when you show up at the office? Because <laughs> it's, it's more okay, what, what are we gonna do with all these brains and energy? What, what, what was the first thing
1: you guys started to try and do? Yeah, so um the good thing is uh three of us were tech tech founders. So and the good thing about having a tech founder is um, you really don't have to start investing in human resource from the word go, especially yeah. if you're building a tech uh, tech product. So, right. what we did is uh, uh, because uh, one of the co founders is really well established in the market, especially in the FSG uh, industry, what we started doing is um, we started going out to look for business, looking for technologies, uh, I mean, solutions where you can be able to make a difference. And um, the beauty is that uh, when Solitech began, it really did not begin as a um, like a specific sales automation company. We began as mm-hmm. an IT company, just another IT company, um, mm-hmm. doing websites, uh, doing hubs and so forth. Actually, one of mm-hmm. our first clients was really a website uh, client, mm-hmm. but um, that was around September uh, 2014. But uh, mm-hmm. by December 2014, we'd already got uh, one requirement for sales automation from one of the business sets that are uh, uh, one of the first clients that we had, which is uh, Kenafric. So they mm-hmm. had this um, challenge where they did not know what sales team are doing really on the ground, whether they are visiting customers, whether they have really gone and sold out what they really received a stock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. formed really our first basis of sales automation. OK, OK. Yes.
0: OK, so interesting. So you guys, was that so basically you, you found a problem at one organization and they needed to solve their problem. And yes. uh, you guys, did you guys immediately see that this is a market opportunity as opposed to building a custom product for one client? Did you guys see it right away?
1: at that point no we just wanted to really develop uh, this uh, this application and give it to them but uh, i think that's one of the biggest uh, i mean uh, early insights we really took in we were able to realize there's a gap Uh, this is how almost every manufacturer works and uh, Mm -hmm. if we are able to build this technology to scale up then we can be able to give this solution to almost each and every other uh, client Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: interesting. Okay, so wh- how long did it take you from okay uh, the product spec to the first working version? What was that development
1: timeline? Um. So December 2014, we met at the requirements. By Feb 2015, we had a working prototype, which we wow. did manage now to start piloting with the with the sales team, which was uh was there at that point. Hmm.
0: Hmm.
1: Interesting. Yes. Okay, and
0: then what did you learn from that experience of actually putting, you know, developing a product and putting it out there? Any lessons that you learned from, because obviously requirements sometimes obviously change when you, when you, when you put them into users' hands. Uh, how big was the gap between what you gave to them and what you ended up actually, the changes that you needed to make? What was that di- differential between those two things? What they wanted and what you delivered?
1: Yeah, I think one of the biggest uh, really um, lessons we learned is uh, when you're developing, especially for tech products, you really have to get it out to the market as soon as possible so that you can get Mm -hmm. feedback from the real users on the ground. Because most of the time, we spend a lot of time in boardrooms making decisions for people (laughs) who are not actually, (laughs) who are really the real users of the uh, technologies you are going to develop. And I think one, that was one of the wisest decisions that we made. Um, mm-hmm. So within two months, we really get out, got out to the market and uh, we were able to pilot with the end users and we were able to get actually more feedback from them on how to make the product better. Um, and this is the approach we've used from 2015 up to now. Uh, innovation, mm-hmm. iteration, doing a lot of research and development. Fantastic, fantastic. I love it. So... It it sounds like you guys
0: are a pretty agile outfit. All uh, three three techies, right? Three folks with a tech background. So you could actually get quite quite far with your product in terms of the skill sets between the three of you. What did you guys have any focus areas? Did you I guess overlap in terms of you know the the the, 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 the area of the stack which you focused on, or how did you guys complement each other? All
1: right. So from the beginning. Um Alex and I, we are both backend guys. Uh, Raid was a mobile guy, so ideally, it was the one who was working on the mobile application, which was at that time an Android because uh, that time there was really Flutter wasn't there, so mm-hmm. we were just building on the native uh, Android. Um, mm-hmm. So he was working on the mobile side. Uh, Alex and I were working on the backend side. Uh, then Jinal was working on the business development, and that's why we were able mm-hmm. to uh, com- uh, complement each other.
0: Fantastic. That sounds like a, a team made in heaven. You had everybody in place, right? From business yeah, development, yeah. backend, mobile. That's amazing. Um, so how has the company grown since, uh, you know, 2015 till now? Like that's now six, six years now, right? Um, almost seven. What has that, almost seven, yeah. What has that journey been like? If you can talk about your customer acquisition and growth, and organisational growth also in terms of headcount. Maybe we start with the easiest. We just start with the numbers. How many customers do you have today, uh, and how, how? How? What is the size of the team today? Uh,
1: so currently we have 31 clients, and uh, we have a team of 21.
0: 21 people. Okay, and yeah. and 31 clients. And uh, I guess to maybe quantify that. So if if you look at 31 clients, maybe one client equals a significant amount of revenue or or uh, given the space that you're in how do you quantify the value of each client or what's the average uh, contract value of each client just to get a sense uh, how you guys quantify the business per client
1: All right so the way we quantify the business is uh, based on the number of users in that organization or based on the mm-hmm. number of sales team because our pricing is really uh, SaaS model so we build mm-hmm. by, by user Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and what is your biggest uh,
0: footprint in terms of users at one organization and the smallest? What's that range from the smallest to the biggest?
1: Well, we do have a client who has 320-something uh, users, and that's a huge number for our sales team. Mm-hmm, big time. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um,
0: and so you are in seven countries now? Is, is that right? Six. Six countries. Six countries. How did you move into those countries? Was was uh, was it your business development efforts? Was it were you pulled by customers who heard about you through some word of mouth? Was it a, a mix of both? How did you get into six countries? Uh, you know, that's it's because it's quite unusual. Because if you think about, you know, thirty one customers spread across six countries. It's it's a very, it's a quite an unusual. The, the, that's a big geography for such a relatively small number of clients. Why is that the case, and how did
1: that happen? Mm -hmm. So, um, I think, Mark, the beauty about having a tech company is um, you really don't need to have a physical presence in in a country where you're operating in. And Mm -hmm. actually, we've been able to prove that uh, very effectively. Uh, So, we've used two modes of uh, expansion. So, one, through our clients, because they have operations in other countries as well. Then also, Mm -hmm. it's been... um, physical effort as well, uh, trying to look for clients in, uh, in other countries. And uh, the mode that you've used, which has really been successful, is... Uh, so, currently in Africa, we have 54 countries. Uh, I mean, the, the acknowledged one by the United States, uh, United Nations. Then, out of these 54 countries, we have 24 countries, which are English-speaking countries. And uh, mm-hmm. our bet has always been uh, on targeting the English-speaking countries first, because they are easy to sell because there's no language barrier and so forth. Then uh, later on, we'll really look into moving into uh, other countries like uh, the French uh, countries, Arabic countries as well. Mm, interesting.
0: And in terms of the, you know, given that your customer base is manufacturers, right? They're manufacturers who sell products directly to, to the retail uh, sector. Is that is that right? That's right. Okay. And I would imagine, you know is it across all kinds of is is it f m c g is the main area, is the main
1: focus area i would say eighty percent of our clients are in f m c g but we've mm-hmm. we've branched into other sectors like paints uh like tobacco mm-hmm. and so forth and mm-hmm. yeah yeah so basically fundamentally
0: it's anybody who has a manufacturing back the business is in manufacturing and there's they have uh on the ground sales team pushing their SKUs into the retail space. Basically, that's a potential customer.
1: Yes, as long as uh, actually we define our customers anyone who has products and they want to get them out to the market, they want to receive orders from customers, they have to fulfill those orders. That's our client. That's your client. Fantastic.
0: So it's not just manufacturing. You can even be you, even a distributor of some kind can use you guys. Yes, Any yes. Actually,
1: when when you look at our model, we we've been able to handle we've dissegmented the market into three different modes. So we have what we call mm-hmm. the MRC, which is the Manufacturer, Retailer to Consumer. We have the mm-hmm. MWRC, which is the uh, Manufacturer, Reseller, Retailer to Consumer. Then we have the final mm-hmm. one, which is the Manufacturer, Distributor, Reseller, Retailer and Consumer. So definitely everyone on that chain is potentially our client.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So your, your application sits between
0: manufacturers and that whole value chain up to the retailer. Do you guys provide any consumer-facing capabilities? Yes,
1: we have. We have a very enticing um, pro- uh, product which we are calling DucaSoft, which mm-hmm. will be launching in the coming months. But uh, mm-hmm. right now, I'm not allowed to share any more information with our marketing team uh, because <laughs> of the sure. But we, have, we do have a, a retailer-facing product, which will be getting to the market. Um, and the beauty is that uh, currently in the, in the country, we are working with almost all the top guys. We are, uh, I mean, whom you would uh, think about, all the top distributors, mm. top manufacturers. So really, it would be an easy, um, an easy sell to the retailers.
0: I love, I love it. I love it. How would you guys do the endpoint distribution? Because if Dukasoft sounds like a consumer, like a you know consumer goods, is that right? Yes. So what would be your? Would you guys build the delivery infrastructure, or would you ride on top of Ascendi? or you know how would you guys or any do the? How would you guys finalize the last mile? All right. So the
1: beauty about what we've done is, uh, already we are working with the top. Uh, top distributors and manufacturers in the country, um, mm-hmm. what we've built is a marketplace for them. So the retailers mm-hmm. will just be placing orders, then the manufacturers are able to uh, fulfill the orders. So we have not, we are not handling any logistics, uh, which is making it really easy because it's just plug and play for each and every uh, distributor and manufacturer we're, we are working with uh, currently.
0: Okay, got it. So basically, I will not be able to order something on Dukasoft, or will I be able to do so as a user, as a consumer?
1: You will be, as long as you're ordering from an already pre-listed distributor or manufacturer who is working with Solutech. Okay, and then,
0: so if I place an order, where does the product get shipped from? From
1: the manufacturer.
0: From the manufacturer. Wow. Okay. So you guys are going to basically uh cut out the middle people here.
1: Um ideally we will not be cutting any middle people, and that's one of actually the discussions which we've had for quite a long time. Because mm. um we've we've started different models and uh people fear change and people fear mm-hmm. disruption. Mm-hmm. So we've really tried as hard as possible not to really disrupt. But just provide efficiency at this point. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, you know, at the end of the day, innovation drives efficiency. And so, efficiency means removing inefficiency. And, and uh you can see where this is going. And I'm not going to push you too hard on this, but I'm excited <laughs> about it. You
1: can also see where it's going, actually. We are seeing where it's going. <laughs> So we are talking the depth of the water with both feet. We are trying to use yeah. one foot at this
0: point. <laughs> very di- very diplomatic approach and very smart of <laughs> you.
1: Yeah. So
0: basically basically your your oh my goodness you are building in theory you are building Amazon, right? Um, in essence on top of yeah. the distribution uh, yeah so that's very exciting. Um, can't wait to see where that goes. All right, so let's talk about like founder dynamics. One of the things that really uh, startups struggle with is mm-hmm. co-founder uh, fallout and conflict. And mm-hmm. it seems like you guys have been you no, know, you guys have done quite well in that regard. Uh, you you're here, you are growing, uh, you've overcome that uh, so far. What what do you think allowed you guys as a team to avoid the things that 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 one problem that so many that kill so many startups a conf- co-founder conflict what is it about you guys that allowed you to overcome that or how did you go about navigating those issues that inevitably come up
1: um i believe one of the key things we really got correct was on the ownership of the company uh, because everyone has 25 percent ownership which yes. means that um Everyone else a in the company, so there's no majority shareholder, there's no minority shareholder, and so forth. And the other thing is, uh, the three of us from campus, we are really good friends from, um, I mean, the first year, second year, third year, fourth year. We did a lot of uh, campus projects together. So really, we are, we are good friends. And I mean, uh, breaking friendship is really a four-year friendship, which is now 11 years old, is really, really difficult then now uh, the other business partner we got um i think he really came down to a level to be able to understand working with young people because really working with the young people can re- really be frustrating because sometimes you might be able to see something which they are not seeing but is right. really patient with uh, with us
0: fantastic and how did you distribute roles so so ownership is one thing but actually management roles. So who does what in the company right now? It sounds
1: like you're the COO. Yes. And what do the other people do? Mm. So what we did is uh, um, most of the tech companies, when they start, uh, there's a clear definition of roles. But uh, Solitech was different. When we started, there was no clear definition of roles. We only knew that uh, some of us need to be in tech, the others need to be, uh, the rest need to be in business development. But as time has gone by, we realized who is good in what, um, Mm -hmm. and who is not good in what. So Alex is the de facto CEO right now, Uh, Mm -hmm. Jinal is the business development uh, executive. Um, I'm the CEO, I'm in charge of all operations, internally, customer service, uh, human Mm -hmm. resource as well. And Ryan is really good with numbers, so he's the chief uh, finance officer. Amazing, amazing. And, and obviously you guys were not
0: seasoned business builders and you have, how did you evolve to learn to know that these, first of all, the self-awareness to say, this person's going to do this, this person's going to do this, and this is what our COO does and we need a, a financial person and we need a business development person and everybody kind of slotting into that. You know, it, it takes experience to even know that the roles that are in a company. Right, as you're starting to build it. Because at first, everything is everywhere. People are kind of doing specific things. Then the, as the company grows, you, know, you start to have structures. And then identifying who will lead those structures, who's the natural leader there. It, it is not a simple thing to do, especially without experience. How did you guys tackle the lack of experience to, to, get,
1: to land on your feet so amazingly well? I agree, Mark. So what happened is, uh, actually, when we were beginning, we really made a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. and that's due to our experience nobody has really run a successful uh, tech company before um, so we really did make a lot of mistakes but uh, on our way we've had to learn and also unlearn a lot of things mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you have to keep learning from each and every client um, then you also have to learn from other tech companies out there and you have to unlearn what is bad and relearn new things as well but the question I have for you on that,
0: uh, Nthiye, is what are the specific mistakes that you guys uh, learned? Maybe you can give one example, right? A story of, of a mistake that uh, that you guys made and learned from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then how you, and then another question would be what, how did you expose yourself to the knowledge you did not have? Because mistakes are one thing, right? And you can't make yes. your mistakes. You can't make all the mistakes you need to make so you can learn because you will die. How did you guys level up? Did you guys take a deliberate study process? How did you guys go about that? So give a story about, give an example of a mistake that you guys learned from, and your, your learning and development uh, strategy.
1: Um, so I would say we we made a couple of uh, mistakes. Um, so probably I can point out like the top, uh, the top two or three. So one was the one the pricing. Um, mm-hmm. So initially, when we started, we were pricing our product on our monthly retainer. So what actually used to happen is uh, you'd get a client who has uh, 20 users. Then we charge them a flat fee of maybe, let's say, uh, 20,000. 20, but then over time, their users um, I mean, increase. And once mm-hmm. their users increase, mm-hmm. it means the tech resources start to increase as well. Uh, the cloud pricing goes up bandwidth goes up. And that's, that's a loss to the, to the business. So we really had mm-hmm. to learn um, to change to assess a SaaS model of pricing where we build per user. Um, mm-hmm. And that was really an eye-opener. The other thing was really on technology, even though there's not much we could do in terms of the technology. Because rightly, when we started, we just used our in-built skills. And at that time, <laughs> our skills were just limited to native Android. and. Um, mm-hmm. CodeIgniter as the backend, mm-hmm. uh, but then over time, we've had to overhaul this, the whole technology because of uh, scalability, so we've had to move for to Flutter because of the option of being able to package the, the app to both iOS and Android using the same code base. Uh, we've then been able to uh, to move from CodeIgniter to Laravel um, to then Node.js and Vue.js as well. Mm. So I said those are some of the really key um, mistakes which we made from the from the onset.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, look, those are those are survivable. Those are the most more that, more on the survivable side, right? Like you can change your pricing, you can update your technology. I think you know just from what I hear from you, the you have overcome the less survivable challenges of building a company, mm-hmm. which is people dynamics, co-founder conflict learning how to work together as a team. Huge, huge deal. What would you say about that particular uh, concept? Or, or How would you, you know, to somebody listening to this, how? what advice would you give to anybody listening to this about that particular idea, mm-hmm. the personnel side? You
1: know, how they should approach that, how they should think about that from your own experience? Well, I think the, one of the most important things when you are starting a tech company or any company out there is uh, to really look for good uh, co-founders. Because they will definitely define the success or the failure of your company. So one, um, it's good to look for friends, but they have to put in the work. Don't just look for friends, then they can't just sit. There is nothing they are doing. So Mm -hmm. then you have to look for people you will not be afraid of telling them the truth. And they'll accept Mm -hmm. the truth without feeling that maybe uh, you're being personal with them. People are able to differentiate uh, personal, um, I mean, being personal, and when it comes to business sense, um, Mm -hmm. then you have to really look for people with high integrity, uh, Mm -hmm. because when you're starting up, you will start making money. That's given, if you're really doing the right thing. So you really want people who are not greedy, they're not looking to maybe uh, make themselves uh, looking for personal development at the expense of the company. Um, mm-hmm. then you have to look out to solve a existing problem. Um, and as well, don't ignore sales and marketing from the word go, because um, mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. seen companies where they start well, then they believe they have to make the product maybe 100% fit before going to the market, or maybe uh, before investing in sales and marketing. Um, because I think one of the things which has made us successful is from the onset, we really, um, we really put out our product to the market uh, to different manufacturers mm-hmm. distributors, even when it had like 5% of what I would say is uh, of the features it has today. And we um, were able to get clients even with those 5% of the features, which has really mm-hmm. made like now selling is really easy because we've got a lot of research and uh, feedback from our existing users. And we've been able to use that in our research and development and innovation as well. Fantastic. Those are all amazing, amazing
0: lessons, but yeah, fantastic. Um, so, a couple of last questions here. Funding, right? Obviously, you guys were first of all a development shop, so you kind of funded your way by taking in development clients initially. Uh, how have you, how have you, how did you guys fund the growth? Was it very, or was it always organic? Have you taken in outside capital? All
1: right. So, Solitech has been uh, organically funded. But uh we've really tried to balance. Um I'm sure you know about Beah uh stops, So we've really tried mm-hmm. to avoid that. Um but what we did is uh from the uh, initial funds that we got, we really not like increase our salaries or anything, but we really tried to save that money and uh, invest it back in the company by hiring the right people. Um but what I would say about investing and raising funds is that uh, it's really something we are really looking forward to, especially uh, in our scaling up. Because mm-hmm. what funding does is uh, it it gives you a leapfrog in the market because you're able to bring in good quality, top top notch uh, talent, and you're also mm-hmm. able to hire top expertise, which is something which should really do without uh, without funding.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah makes sense makes sense that's that sounds exciting i mean look just listening to how you talk how you have moved through your your early phase i mean it's taken you almost seven years to get to where you are and right now you're feeling like you're ready to actually scale the company and the first thing you said was it allows you to bring in quality talent that is that is a sign of somebody who understands what it takes to actually build a business um Tech tech is about talent, um, and uh, that's, that's to me. You know, if if I'm an investor, I'm definitely looking to 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 back you guys, and uh, and we can talk about that because we have some things that are coming down the pipeline around this particular side. Okay, final question for you. So, future of Solitech, What what is this in terms of the opportunity size? You know, I don't know if you've done any mar- any total addressable market research or, or assessment. How big is this market? Right. The way the way you guys look at it um, and where do you think you guys what are some of the goals you have? Where do you think you guys will be in some future date? Do you have anything concrete you can point to
1: size of market and your goals? Good question. So I'll start by pointing out that uh, maybe I can share history about our maybe um, clients uh, acquisition from 2014. So in 2014, we had one plant. Uh, 2015, as well, one. Uh, 2016, we had another one client, 2017, we said maybe to grow a little bit, we were able to bug two plants. Then um, 2018, we got one plant. And uh, 2019, four plants. But then 2020 was really like our sprout year because we were able to get uh, 13 plants. And so far this year, we've been able to get uh, 12 plants. So but certainly really on course to surpass our target for 2020. Um, what we're really looking forward to at this point, um, because our market is really B2B, and um, analysing a, mar- a B2B market is really quite uh, usually challenging. It's not a c you We're able to maybe say they are like uh, 100,000 and so mm-hmm. forth. So mm-hmm. what we're really looking mm-hmm. forward at at this point is really being I've been a presence uh, in Africa, almost uh, all 24 speaking English countries, they later uh, tried to move to the other uh, Arabic and French uh, companies. I mean, countries as well. Interesting. Okay. Well, you know that's when you come to, when it comes to
0: raising capital uh, and projecting growth. Uh, having market data is obviously important, right? Uh, what are you guys doing about that? in terms of bridging that gap, because an investor needs to know that you know the market and needs to know that there are some concrete opportunities. How are you guys going about that? Or are you, you know, cause you have to understand your market, right?
1: In those 24 countries at minimum. I agree, Mark. So what one of the things that we are really doing at this point is one, uh, setting up a board so that we are responsible to, to someone. So, and also to have really gender equality because we are four tech uh, male founders um and i really understand the dynamics of really achieving gender equality especially for 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 a tech company and with all the funding which comes in the scrutiny as well um so this is something we're really looking forward to uh and also one of the things, uh apart from board formulation is um uh, we've started doing our market research uh to really understand uh, because we're really looking to there's a side where we don't want to raise funds for Solitech, but we really want to raise funds for a specific product. So we're also thinking about segmenting like, the company, uh, starting up another company as well. So we're really looking to do our market research. We've already begun doing that um, to really see the potential of Dukasoft, uh, of because that's the side we really want to, to scale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting.
0: Sounds good. So you see those two as two
1: separate things, Solitech and Dukasoft? Yes, uh, at this point we are seeing them as really two different things. Because when an investor is coming in, we really don't want them to invest in solitaire. We really want them to invest in the in the other product, which we really think it's a it's a game changer.
0: Interesting. It's an unproven game changer, but uh but yes. yeah, I mean that's that's the idea, that's the point of tech and investing, right? Listen, I mean I've really enjoyed talking to you, uh Mutier. I, I, I feel like you know. Uh, i 'm excited about what you guys are doing, how you guys are approaching it you are you are you guys are an example of how to do things in the right way um, and you are the reason why you 're the type of people that re- the reason why I believe our ecosystem and africa 's future looks so bright with, with the entrepreneurs like you guys and so f- final parting shot what would you say to to the guests listening what, what do you, what is your vision for for africa 's tech ecosystem what do you
1: think will can happen by 2030 That's a very challenging question. But what I can say is um, I think there are a lot of tech founders in Africa who have proven that you don't need to be in Silicon Valley to build a great company. And my challenge would be to anyone who is looking to maybe uh, start a tech company, uh, this is the time. This is the opportunity, beckoning time. Um, and there could never have been, been, I mean, the right time was 10 years ago, <laughs> so... Right. Yeah. The, other time, the other right time is now. <laughs> the other right time is is now, so don't just sit up and uh, start thinking, I need to move to the U.S. Um, the only time I can raise funds is by being in the U.S. I mean, we've seen uh, great founders in Kenya, um, like Pham Bishuru raising capital, a lot of uh, millions. Uh, by being in a Kenyan company, and that's quite remarkable. So just look for a challenging uh, solution to solve, and uh, get the right team. Um, and I mean, the rest is uh, you can. I mean, the sky is the limit, uh, and it's no longer the limit because you've seen Jeff Bezos going to the to the moon. You've seen <laughs> Jeff Bezos going to the moon as well. So the sky no, is no longer the limit this
0: guy's no longer the live. fantastic man listen i really enjoyed talking to you um and yeah i'm sure the, the, the guests will really appreciate this thanks for taking the time